friends, which is a beautiful thing. It is. Enjoy that time. But my encouragement is to spend time to truly recognize the, the sacrifice of our military men and women who paid the ultimate price. And as, as Dan said, their families and loved ones. So by better remembering what has happened, we can better appreciate and participate in what is happening now, being able to enjoy this holiday. The next thing, second reason I want to bring this out is, like I said, calling this a day worth remembering. I want to help us remember something within our Christian heritage. The Memorial Day is an American event, but as Christians, in a much bigger scope, I think we do the same thing. We tend to forget certain holidays or really holy days that, that happened in the past and then fail to kind of appreciate them as much as, as we could in, in our current time. And the one I'd like to draw your attention to is Pentecost. Right now we are in the season of Pentecost. Typically Pentecost is celebrated in May and it's, uh, this year was May 15th, was the Sunday of Pentecost. And again, so my inv invitation is to remember what happened at Pentecost to better appreciate what is happening now, to remember what God did to better appreciate and participate in what God is doing, to remember what God through the Holy Spirit did so we can better appreciate and participate in what God is doing and what the Holy Spirit is doing through us and through our lives today. So with that, let's look at Pentecost. And what we'll think about or talk about today is what is Pentecost, what happened, why, and also why it matters. So Pentecost itself is just a word. Uh, if you guys, everyone's a little bit familiar with Greek, even if, if, whether you know it or not, words like penta, pentagon, pentathlon. So pentagon is just something with five sides. Pentathlon is an athletic competition with five events. So penta just means five. So that's where the word Pentecost comes from. Pentecostas is rooted in that word penta. Pentecostas, all that means is 50th. That's what it means. It's a derivative of the word five, it means 50th. And so it could either be the 50th something or the 50th of something. So like the 50th of $100 is two bucks. Now, not very impressive. Say, hey, you want 50th of 100 bucks? Yeah, man. Two dollars, eh, you know, not as impressive. But that's the 50th, 50th part. But it's also the 50th thing. In this case, it's the 50th day after another event. So it has its root, Pentecost Day, which is what we call Pentecost in the Bible, is the 50th day after Passover. It's a day, it's a Greek name given to a Jewish holiday, a Greek name for a Hebrew holiday. So that brings up the question, well, what is the Hebrew holiday that they're talking about? In the Hebrew tradition, there's three pilgrimage holidays where everyone from the known world of Jewish believers all gather together in Jerusalem. And one of those is, of course, Passover, which we're familiar with. But 50 days after Passover, they come back and they do what they call the Feast of Weeks. And that's what the word comes from, this word Shavuot is a Hebrew word, which means weeks. It comes from another word, Shiva, which means seven. And so they called it the Feast of Weeks, and the idea was it was seven sevens, seven weeks. Seven times seven is 49, 
and they celebrated the event on the 50th day. And then you can look in the Old Testament, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they all talk about this. You will celebrate this holiday 50 days after Passover. And the cool thing, the very, very first Pentecost, let's call it, which was after the very, very first Passover, is when the Jews left Egypt. That was a Passover. And they ate the, the unleavened bread to, to represent the, the haste of leaving. 50 days later, they were on Mount Sinai. And that's the day they received the Ten Commandments. And that's the day, the day that God said, you will be my people and I'll be your God. This is when he declared them as their chosen people. So that's kind of the history, the significance behind Pentecost, the 50th day. Then as time went on, the Hebrews went into Canaan and they had their fields and they harvested a crop. And that was also the same day as the wheat harvest. So as their tradition continued, they also celebrated the Feast of the Harvest and the Day of First Fruits on that same day, the 50th day. So that's kind of a big deal. All these kind of events that all kind of line up with that one particular day. And so it's no, it sh or at least it shouldn't be a surprise that that's the day God picked for another Pentecost, another significant event uh, for his people, the church and the new covenant, saying that you are my people. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is the second major Pentecost, 50th day. For a real, real brief background, we're going to look at Acts 1-8. Our passage is Acts 2, but Acts 1-8 is a very, very popular passage. Most people are familiar with it, and it just goes back to this idea of what did Jesus do before he ascended. Now, Jesus, of course, we know he was killed over Passover or crucified, rose again, he spent about 40 days, and book of Acts 1, to chapter 1 tells us about 40 days after the resurrection, he was with the disciples. And on the 40th day is when he ascended. And his last words while on earth to his disciples were this, I, but you will, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Wonderful verse, powerful verse, and it can be read in more than one way, and this is what I mean. Oftentimes we look at that and think, okay, so Jerusalem is where they're at, Judea is kind of a bigger area, Samaria is a bigger area, ends of the earth is an even bigger area, so we have to go to all these areas. Well, not everybody gets to go. Not everybody is a missionary who gets to go to the ends of the earth. So sometimes it's just Jerusalem or just where you're at, but the real neat thing, what I love about this is Christ says this because he knows his father has a promise for his people. And then he gets the people from the ends of the earth and brings them to Jerusalem for the pilgrimage holiday of Pentecost, of Shavuot. I think that's pretty awesome. He brings the ends of the earth to his disciples to begin with and then, and then send, gives them the Holy Spirit and sends them out. So this is what happens in Acts oh, 1.8, what happened on Pentecost. So it says, this is Acts chapter 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. So all together, they is referring to the 12 apostles. At this time, Judas is, of course, out of the picture, but they've voted and they put Matthias as the 12th apostle. So that's the day they're talking about. That suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind 
came from heaven and filled the house where they were staying. And tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as spirit had given them ability for speech. So this idea of the fire, you see that throughout the Old Testament. There's this idea of fire, of purification. John the Baptist said, you know, I baptize with water, but he who comes after me will baptize with spirit and with fire. Also, when we look at the Old Testament, we see Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't be your, your, your spokesman. And, and the seraphim pulls the coal from the fire, touches it to Isaiah's lips, and purifies him. So there's a certain, that connection of fire and being called and commissioned for God's work are, are seen here. As far as the languages, this is a clear passage that the languages are actual languages. And it goes on to talk about that, the ability to speak. Uh, when you see chapter 5, it emphasizes the, the fact that all the known world is coming to Jerusalem. It says, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So again, it's clear that this wasn't like some incoherent speech. This was languages of different nations. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear our own native languages? So I can't think of a great explanation or, or like illustration, but I can only think of like, say, imagine you're not a Texan. Just imagine you're from somewhere else. And you come to Texas, and you meet the typical Texan, oh, not typical, but the exaggerated, exaggerated Texan with a big cowboy belt, the 10-gallon head. It's like Tex. If tech, big Tex were a real person, you know, like, howdy, y'all. How y'all doing? Welcome to Texas. Yeehaw. And all this kind of like this, this typical, not typical, again, exaggerated Texan. And then the very, and you think, okay, it's Texas. I get it. It's normal. And the very next day, you see the same guy, and he's speaking like perfect Mandarin Chinese. Wouldn't that throw you for a loop? Especially if that's where you're from, you're like, man, how's it? No accent, just like perfect Mandarin Chinese, like as if he's from, from China. That, that would probably stir some things up. So that's what's happening here. These guys are hearing people they've probably seen before, the Galilean fishermen speaking their native language in a perfect, perfect tongue. Then it describes the, the people who are there. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking the magnificent acts of God in our own languages. They were all astounded. Again, I think, thinking it's that same idea of that cowboy, we, you'd probably be pretty astounded hearing all of this or seeing all, all of this, they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this be? But some sneered and said, they're full of new wine. And 
I don't know a lot about wine, but my understanding is new wine is stronger than, than aged wine. So that, that's why they say new wine. Now, overall, the, the idea is that they're intoxicated. And, and I just bring that up to say there's always somebody who's not going to believe. There's always somebody who wants to figure out some explanation to, the, to a supernatural event, the act of the Holy Spirit at this time, at this place. And I think this is where we really see the Holy Spirit at work and the apostles. Because what happens next is Peter stands up and speaks. Now, again, this is just after Christ was crucified. I mean, 50 days ago, Christ was crucified. Time doesn't travel or news doesn't travel like it does now. Like today, a big article can come out in the news, and within five days, you forgot about it. For example, I think the last big thing maybe a couple days ago was the, the flight, the Egypt flight that crashed. No one's heard about it. Has it been in the news lately? No, because news goes that fast and it's forgotten. Here, it's a little slower, 60 days. But most of these people that are in Jerusalem now for, the, for Shavuot were also probably there for Passover. They were all probably around when, when all this commotion was happening so that the idea of what happened is still kind of fresh on their minds. And certainly it's fresh on the minds of the disciples who, who saw Christ crucified 50 days ago, spent the last 40 days with him. Instead of like buckling to like being made fun of, like, oh, no, they think we're drunk. Let's get back inside. Don't, nothing to see here, guys. Nothing to see here. Go back to your houses. No. Peter speaks up. He stands up. And this is what he says. He stood up with 11, with the 11 raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Men of Judah, all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. And the funny thing here is, like I said, there's a lot to cover. I really, really wanted to just summarize this and just move on to the end of the chapter. But those words themselves, pay attention to my words. He's going to say some very important things. I will summarize it, but I'll also read it. And the only reason I'm summarizing it is to say this is what he does, which to me is amazing. Being, say a, say a New Testament Christian, is he's explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ using only the Old Testament, his own personal experience, and of course the power of the Holy Spirit. But have you ever shared the gospel? Almost, anyone who has almost always uses the New Testament. We use John or, or some passage. I mean, can you imagine sharing the gospel with just the Old Testament? So he's pointing out, this isn't new. It's in the Old Testament, and here it is. To me, that's, that's kind of amazing and cool and awesome. And again, his knowledge of the Old Testament, his personal experience with Christ, and, and the Holy Spirit working in him. And this is, what he, this is what he tells the people. First off, he tells them, hey, we're not drunk. He says, uh, said, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And then he reads from Joel. He says, and it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit 
on my male and female slaves. In those days, and they will prophesy, I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and remarkable day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And of course, that's a lot of things in that passage that haven't yet happened. But he's talking about the very beginning of what is happening, which is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the people of God. He continues, says, men of Israel, listen to these words again. Listen to me. This is important. It says, this Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Again, these were people who were very likely around during the Passover. Before, some of them may have been there the entire 40 days since, depending on how far they had to travel. If they're coming from Mesopotamia, that's like a month's journey in itself uh, for this time period. He says, so as, as those of you, as you yourselves know, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says of him, and then he starts quoting from, from the Psalms, what David wrote. So again, he's using the Old Testament and he's going through, this is, this is who Jesus was. He was written about in the Old Testament. Here, here's here's my, my proof. He says of David, or what David says, I saw the Lord ever before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad. My tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not leave me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. And when he says, you will not be left in Hades, that of course is the, the Greek word for the underworld. In other words, hell. You will not leave me under the earth. You will not let my body decay. Now, a lot of people read that and think, well, David's talking about himself. Or at least maybe in Old Testament tradition, you think David's talking about himself. But then, then Peter kind of has to point out the obvious. He says, brothers, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to, an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. So he's pointing out, again, the obvious. They're in Jerusalem. King David's tomb is nearby. They probably know where it is. They probably go visit it. There's a lot of arguments now of people who say they know where it is. But uh, it's, it's nearby. It's in Jerusalem. It's in the city of David. And they probably know where it is at that time. So he's pointing out that passage is not about 
King David. That passage is about someone after David, his descendant being Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, seeing this in advance, he, David, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. And of course, Messiah, the Greek word for Messiah is Christos, Christ. So the resurrection of the Christ. He was not left in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. So now they're talking about Jesus and saying he is the one that David was speaking about. God has resurrected this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. And the we all, he's talking about the 12, because they were with him for the last three years of his life. They're also with the resurrected Jesus for the past 40 days before the ascension. Then 10 days later, this event here, the Pentecost. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says who ascended into the heavens this. And then he goes on to, sorry, did I skip a page? Oh. He says this, so this is David's writing again. He said, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So again, he's talking about the Lord that David writes about is Jesus Christ. Therefore, let all the house of Israel Know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So that was a lot of information, but like I said, that was Peter giving the gospel message using only the Old Testament scripture, his own experience, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit. So what happens next? When they heard this, all, all the crowds who were listening they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? So now that they've heard this message, they, they have these 12 witnesses, they, they believe that it's true. They're convicted that it's true. So what, what do we do next? And this is what, what Peter says. He says, repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message and were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. So that, all of that long message, is what happened on Pentecost, on the second Pentecost, the first again being the original giving of the Ten Commandments 
at Sinai, the 50th day after the very first Passover. This is the 50th day. The story we hear now is his 50th day after the Passover where Christ was crucified. So, again, the whole point is to help remember what happened so we can better appreciate and participate in what's happening now. So, brief review, like what is Pentecost? It's simply the 50th day after Passover. It's a Greek term that coincides with the Hebrew Shavuot, the seven weeks after the first Passover, also celebrated on the 50th day. So what happened, really two things happened. When you think about the original Pentecost, that was God proclaiming the Israelites as his chosen people. You are my people and I am your God. On this Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the 12 apostles. But it's also God's way of saying, you are my people and I'll be your God. Now, that doesn't remove the Israelites from God's chosen people, but it includes, in a very significant way, the Gentiles and all of us who are here. And we know that because Paul says in other right in, in his letters, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So why did it happen? First and foremost, because God keeps his promises. In the Old Testament, just as Paul, I'm sorry, just as Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, the apostle Luke, states this was God's promise. God promised the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this is the Father will send him down. This is the Father's promise. And he also points out in the Old Testament that Joel, this is all promised in the Old Testament. This is nothing new. This is not Jesus making up new promises. This is Jesus carrying forward the promise made by God in the Old Testament. So first and foremost, it happened because God keeps his promise. Second is the establishment of his church. I'm just imagine that kind of church growth. You got 12 people in the morning at about 9 when you start gathering together. And by the end of the day, you got 3,000 members in your church. Uh, that's insane. I, can't, I don't know if that's happened anywhere ever other than on this particular day. But it was the establishment of his church. That was the beginning. So why does it matter? Again, this idea of appreciating what happened, remembering what happened, so we can better participate in what is happening now. To remember what the Holy Spirit did, so we can better appreciate and participate in what the Holy Spirit is doing in us and through us, and through others and his divine plan. So my thought is God wants to empower us to spread the gospel with strength, conviction, and courage. And in the same way, this is what I think is interesting. Like I said, we don't have to go. We don't, not everybody has to be a missionary to Calcutta or the Horn of Africa or embedded it with like ISIS or some crazy idea like, yeah, I can do this. Like, there might be somebody who can, and God will empower somebody to do so, but not everybody has to do that. But we do have to share the message. The same way that at that Pentecost, that God, through his divine plan, got all the Hebrews, the Jewish believers, in the known world and brought them to Jerusalem, and the same way God, through his Holy Spirit, is preparing somebody to put into your life who needs his word. The same way he brought these people to Jerusalem to hear the, God, to hear the apostles speak. 
he's bringing somebody who needs to hear the word and he's preparing you to share that with them. So, so my challenge is for you guys is to read the book of Acts. Spend some time in God's word. See, see how the Holy Spirit was acting then. Second is just to remember what the Spirit has done in order to better participate in what the Spirit is doing. And finally, to, to follow the Spirit's leading in your lives. Thank you. Maybe just a quick moment of prayer. Father God, again, we ask you, Lord, for your spirit to be upon us. Lord, we ask for your, a measure of your Holy Spirit to increase and increase ever more. Lord, that we do not grieve the Holy Spirit that is within us, Lord, that, but instead that we learn to please the Holy Spirit, to, to follow its guidance, to follow its leading, to, to utilize the courage that it can give us, Father. Help us not to, to forget or forsake what has happened. Help us not to miss out on what your spirit is doing. But help us, Lord, instead to, to be a part of it. And, Lord, to be a part of it all for your glory, for your kingdom, for your message, and for your will, that your will be done in our lives. We ask this, Lord, in your son's holy name. Please stand with us. Sweetest of loves, for my heart with
comes free and my shame is undone. So we're doing something, I wanted to say a little different, but I think it's really just very different for the table. Uh, so I'll explain that. Those of you guys in the front row can see we have leavened bread on the table. And I don't know very many times I've seen anything other but the unleavened bread that they were like crackers. Um, and there's a reason. The celebration that I spoke about, Shavuot, is also the Feast of Weeks, that, that 50th day after Passover. So on Passover, 